All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Wow, packed out. Good. All right, uh, today's message, uh, we're going to, I know it says uh, we're ending the Holy Spirit like last week, but we're, we're going to continue it because the Holy Spirit does whatever he wants to do. So we're going two more weeks. So today is going to be on the Holy Spirit, but it's a little bit different. And, uh, and the next week we'll, we'll do one more on the Holy Spirit and then we'll be doing some other stuff. Whoa. There. Uh, and today's message is, um, it's, actually, it's actually for the graduates. Are they still in here or did they sneak off already? All right, they're still here. Good, good. I'm glad you guys are still in the audience because this, this message is for you today. And it's actually for you and it's for anybody else that is in a season of transition in your life. Uh, transition can be difficult and a lot of people don't like it. So a lot of people don't like change. I like change. I'll, I'll you know, I, I, I like change for change's sake. But most people are... are they get frustrated or they get scared or fear seizes them whenever they're in a season of transition. And graduation is one of the, it's one of the worst. It is one of the scariest times in life. It's also one of the most exciting times in life. And so today's message is, is for people that are in transition, especially you graduates, because I, I know what, it, what it's like to, to, uh, to do that. And it's, it's scary, right? Remember? Remember, remember when you got kicked out of the house and had to go to college, and it's a scary, it's a scary time. Uh, what got me through graduation, what got me through that next season in my life was hope. Hope is the only thing that, that got me through some of the lowest points in my life. Now, when I, when I graduated college, um, I was absolutely terrified I was. I remember sitting in the in the in the, in the auditorium. Actually, it was outside. But I remember sitting out there, and I was scared to death. I had no idea what my what lied in my future. I I was. I knew that I had a college bill that was coming up fairly soon, and the whole the party time was over. Uh, the going to the cafeteria for free food that was over and I was terrified and I remember specifically uh, I don't remember the the speaker's name but the commencement speaker his title was hope that was it and that's the only thing that I remembered I remember sitting there going oh my gosh I'm so glad I heard this message today because it has given me a hope that I didn't have before that was the most amazing thing now my one of my best friends was sitting next to me and he's like that was the lousiest speech I've ever heard in my entire life okay but my friend was also like a rich kid and so he wasn't scared I was scared but um, it stuck with me like I, I forgot a ton of stuff. I forgot my classes. I forgot sermons. I forgot, you know, everything that I studied. But I remembered that speech my last day of college. I remember what it was about. I remember the passion that, that this, this pastor communicated when he, was, he, when he was injecting hope into a bunch of scared students. And it got me through some of the roughest times in my life. I, I remember specifically... I was, it was late at night, it was, it was late at night, and I was, I was in a foreign state, foreign, Charleston, South Carolina is a foreign state, <laughs> it's a foreign country, all right, it doesn't get any more bizarre than that, so I, I, I'm in the south, uh, I'm broke, I'm lonely, I have no friends, church people didn't like me because I'm from Los Angeles, uh, I was sad, 
I was just really bummed out and isolated and alone. And my dad calls me up and he says, Josh, your, your dog just died. And I just, I fell apart. I just, I just, I mean, just blubbering and eating my boogers and it's just like, uh, life sucks. And what, what got me back was this man's commencement speech on hope, on a living hope, the hope of glory. And it was, it was my anchor. It, it, I was still kind of bummed out, sad, and lonely, but it, it anchored my soul. Hebrews says that, uh, that hope is the anchor to our souls. Hope is this thing that, that, that grounds us, that, it, that can bring us back, that can center us back on what our purpose in life is, what our, what our direction is, and where, where our glory is. And one of the biggest knuckleheads in the Bible reach this maturity on understanding what hope is. And you want to take a guess at who the, the knucklehead is? Peter, who said that? Did anybody say that? She was here first service. She doesn't count. <laughs> oh, did she? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're going to look at Peter. First Peter. We're going to look at one of his letters. And he's writing to a group of people that, that need, they need an injection of hope. Because they are living in a hopeless situation. These are believers. They're, he's writing to a group of Christians. And they, they've, they're, they're sad, lonely, depressed, and scared. Not only are they broken alone, but uh, they have people that, that they're going to hurt them. They have people that don't like what they believe. And they have been persecuted. They have, you know, the, the authorities have come into their house and taken their stuff and beaten them up. How would you like to get beat up on your way to church? That, that's their experience. And so uh, Paul's, he's trying to give these people a hope that is beyond their circumstances. Now, I'm going to read this letter. And Paul's, uh, I'm sorry, Peter and Paul, when they write, they write in very long sentences. And so you just kind of, I want you, I'm not going to put it up on the screen, but I want you to listen to the words coming out of my mouth. And just try to, try to grasp the word of God when I read it to you. And it, a lot of it's probably going to go over your head. That's okay. But try to glean as much as you can. But when we read the word of God, sometimes it, the uh, religion gets in the way. Religious language, Christianese gets in the way. But just try to, try to pull out the nuggets in this when I read it. Okay? So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Underline that. He's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the time, uh, until the coming of the salvation that is already to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may prove genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you have not seen him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy from your review, uh, receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, this is a very mature sentence from a mature believer. And of course, it's, it's Peter, right? But what we don't understand about Peter, again, he was like, he's like the Bible's knucklehead of knuckleheads. Yet he writes this. This is so deep. This is so, there's so much wisdom in this, and there's so much that we can learn that will strengthen and encourage our lives. Now, when we talk about hope, hope is... Um, Hope is one of the top three, right? Uh, Paul talks about it in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. He says, all right, if I have to boil down the spiritual life into three words, it's faith, hope, and love. And then he says the greatest of these is, is love. Faith, hope, and love. And not only is faith, hope, and love, I believe the, well, not, it doesn't matter what I believe, it's what the Bible says. The Bible says that faith, hope, and love are the very essentials to the spiritual life, to the Christian life, to, to living life to the full. You've got to boil your life down to those three things. But I will even push a little bit harder. Faith, hope, and love are essential for the human experience. They are essential for anybody to have a fulfilled life. I just think that we've got the corner on the market. We've got faith, hope, and love, and we are empowered by those three things. We talk a lot about love in this church, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it, but it is, it is the best out of the three, right? It, it, you know, you, you, we do all of these. In our church, we do amazing things. We pray for sick people, they get better. We pray for dead people, they wake up. We, we, uh, we speak in other languages, and people can understand them. This is what our church does. So if you're new today, that might scare you. I'm sorry. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, hang around. You'll, we're not going to do that right now. I do have some snakes in the closet. We're going to get these snakes out, and we're going to pass them around, test our faith, okay? No. No, they're real. Yeah, they're, they're, they're rattlesnakes. Okay. But, uh, you know, we can do all of these things, and Paul's very clear. If you do all these things and you're not loving, then you're not doing it. You know, you can, you're just a noisy gong. You're just an annoying Christian if you don't love well. So love is key. Love is, it's, it's, it is the cornerstone of, of the three. But the other two, faith and hope, um, they, all, they, they seem very similar, right? Do you know the difference between faith and hope? Well, I, I didn't until last night. No, I do, but I just had to refresh myself. I had to like, okay, what's the difference? Now, faith is, um, uh, faith comes from your innermost being, from your spirit person or your spirit man. It is, it is your spirit. And even though we say things, and it is true, we say, you know, you have to take a leap of faith. Like Peter, when, when he expressed his faith, he had to get out of the boat, right? He had to take the step of faith into water and then walk on it. And he did. So a lot of faith is it's what makes God happy. We know that. We have to have an expression of faith to make God happy. Because if we're not living in faith, then, then we're not, well, some people say we're sinning if we're not living in faith. And so faith is, um, it comes from the innermost being of who we are. And it's actually a gift from God. Your faith is actually a gift from God, and you need to exercise it. You need to mature, and you need to let it, you need to let it go. 
You need to let it do whatever it wants to do. But even though faith, we say, you know, it's blind faith, that's not completely accurate because faith is distinctly tied to vision. Like Peter, yes, he got out of the boat. He stepped out. He took that leap of faith. But I guarantee you, in his mind, before he stepped out of the boat, he had a vision of himself walking to Jesus. And so whenever we're faced with difficulties in our lives, whenever you need that miracle, whenever you need that breakthrough, if it is of God, you will have a vision for it to see it come to pass. That's faith. Faith is a vision. It is you're able to see and understand and grasp the future, what God's will is. It's difficult to walk in, but it's essential. Now, in contrast, hope, if if faith is a vision, hope is more of a feeling. Hope doesn't necessarily anchor itself to your spirit. What did I just say in Hebrews? Hebrews says that, that hope is the anchor to the soul. Meaning that hope, it, it, it directs, it guides, it is the firm foundation to your character. Hope develops your character. Now, the question is, what are you hoping in? Where does your hope lie? This is the question I have for all you graduates. What is shaping your character? What are you placing your hope in? The Bible's very clear. Place your hope in the Lord, right? Our culture doesn't do that. And we're going to look at it, and we're going to look at why. Okay, so what exactly is hope? What is hope? You know, again, I said it's kind of a feeling. It directs our, it directs our soul. Um, it, you know, it, it tells us what kind of a Christian character we ought to have. Uh, why is it important? Uh, it's, it's one of the great of the three. And as hope defines our, it def- defines our characters, we need to, hope needs us, hope is, um, it's essential to getting us through suffering. Okay, remember me blubbering on the floor, all sad and crying and lonely and broke, you know? Uh, hope is what got me through that. It, and it was the living hope that, that Peter's talking about. That's what got me through that situation. It's what got me through that lonely time in my life. Now, here's the unfortunate truth. In this, in this life, you will have trials, tribulations, and suffering. You cannot, I don't care who you are, you cannot get through life without suffering. It's impossible. Whether you are super Christian or super pagan, you cannot get through this life without suffering. You cannot get through suffering without a hope. Without some kind of hope. Now there's good hope, and then there's, I don't know, not so good hope. But you have to have hope in order to get through suffering. You can actually make it through suffering with a counterfeit hope. Let me, let me explain that. You can put your hope into things that are not of God. Now, when suffering comes, when trials and tribulations come, now, you're not going to have anybody beating you up for your faith. You know, whenever I tell somebody I'm a Christian or I'm a pastor, I might get a little like, or I might get some eye rolls going on, but they're not going to beat me up yet. 
They haven't been protesting on the streets yet, so it's not that big of a deal, right? We've got it really easy. We're not going to be suffering from our faith uh, for persecution's sake, so that's not going to happen, but it could happen, but it's not happening now. But what we do experience, everybody experiences loss, everybody experiences grief at some point in, in their life, and, um, or lack, and how we respond to that will, will tell us what our character is like. The, there's basically four responses to suffering. The first is, um, well, whenever suffering or whenever you're tested, whenever things are taken from you, um, even the sweetest of little church ladies can get mean and nasty. They lo- if you lose everything, the first one of the, one of the responses that humans have is they, they get mean, they get nasty, and they fight dirty. And they're just not nice people. And you thought, man, I thought that they were really nice and sweet. It turns out that I'm taking the knife out of my back right now. That is, that is one of the very first carnal uh, responses that, that people have. They just they get mean whenever their stuff is taken from them. It helps them to survive. It is, it is their hope. Their hope is, I'm not going to let anybody take anything from me ever again. Have you ever had that feeling, that emotion? The next response is, um, well, it's a little more... It's a little more of a, of a bummer. Let's say everything gets taken from you, and, and since I picked on little old ladies, uh, let's pick on men next. Uh, you have everything taken away from you, and instead of fighting for it, trying to get it back, uh, playing dirty, you just roll over and give up. You just quit. You just like, you just, I don't have any fight for me. I don't care. I'm so apathetic. Whatever. I'm just done. The third is, is, a, is a person that has their hope in material things. Let me give you an example. Let's, uh, hypothetically, this was not my experience, but let's just say in my previous life, uh, I was super successful. And I had the, the, the beautiful house up on the hill, white picket fence, two-car garage, really loving, good-looking family, uh, I, had, I had prestige and position in the city, uh, and I was achieved and accomplished. I published, and, and I, uh, I, I hiked um, Kilimanjaro and K-12, and I had all these major accomplishments, right? I'm just awesome. <laughs> and then the stock market kills me. And I lose everything, and the bank calls the note on my house and the cars, and I lose everything. Uh, since I don't have any money, my wife leaves me, my kids hate me, and everybody shuns me in my city. I am, I am, I've hit rock bottom. I'm a big loser now, and so this is my experience. Now, if I don't want to fight and be dirty, I, can, I, I don't want to do that. Um, if, I, if I'm not a quitter, and if I'm not going to give up and roll over and quit, I'm going, to, I'm going to refocus my hope on all of those things that I've lost, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my stuff back. I'm going to get my stinking stuff back no matter what. And that's the driving force in my life. That is my hope, is to get my stuff back, the things that were taken from me. And I do. Because that is my hope. And it is the law of attraction. 
If I work hard and if I stay focused and if I keep the prize in my mind, I'm going to achieve it someday and I'm going to get my stuff back. And I do. But you know what? It doesn't bring me any fulfillment at all. In fact, I have turned inward and I have become angry and cynical and I don't trust anybody because they, they have stabbed me in the back once and it's never going to happen again. And I begin to hoard my stuff, right? So those are, those are the three experiences. And then there's a fourth. The fourth is the inner peace of the inner being. It is, it is that calm. It is the peace that transcends understanding. No matter what your circumstances are, your spirit is not affected by your circumstances. Your character isn't warped by your bad situation, You've had everything taken from you, and you're still a nice person. You have everything taken from you, but you don't have hope in material things. You have the hope of glory. You have a living hope that goes beyond this world that is not temporal, that, that is eternal. It won't burn up. can't be taken from you. And once people really understand that and they get that, then they, then they have this peace. Now, I'm not just making this stuff up. In the concentration camps in Germany, uh, there was a, a pastor wrote it down because I was like, he said, this is who it is. So uh, Victor Frankl, who was a psychologist, he wrote a book called The Search for the Meaning of Life about 50 years ago. And he had this experience. He, he, he couldn't help himself but to observe people. And he, when people were, were pressured and when they were starving and when they were dying, those are the three responses. The really sweet people, the nice people, they got mean and nasty and they did whatever it took to survive. Uh, some people just rolled over and died and they didn't care if Nazis were beating them. They couldn't even feel the pain. Uh, in, in Proverbs it says, um, what was it? Uh, Without hope, the heart is sick. And so when people lose hope, their heart gets sick. And in Solzhenitsa, in the gulags, um, they would see uh, these prisoners that would, lo- that would lose hope. And, they, and Solzhenitsa said you could see it in their eyes. They, they've lost the, the twinkle in their eye. They've lost that, that will to live, and they would die. Within 30 days, they would die. The same thing happened in the Nazi concentration camps. You know, there, there was one guy that had this, this dream, this prophetic dream, that the war would be over on, like, March 20th, and it wasn't. And three, late, three days later, he died because he'd lost hope. He put all of his hope into a dream that wasn't fulfilled. And so uh, without hope, it makes the heart sick. There is an interesting study that came out in the... Uh, the Academy of Neural, uh, Neural, uh, Neurology, whatever. Sorry, I've got the paperwork out here, but for the sake of time. And it's all been supported by major universities that cynical, negative people die sooner than other people do. They, they are more likely to develop dementia, and they're more likely to develop heart disease. And they die like 10 years earlier than the average person. And not only do cynical, negative, fault-finding people die early and develop dementia, they make happy people around them sick. So without hope, the heart grows sick. That was in the Bible before neurologists figured it out. 
But uh, Frankel said that there was, there was the fourth, the fourth person in the concentration camps. Yeah, they weren't happy, but they had an inner freedom. They had an inner freedom. They not only survived being in the concentration camp, they survived outside of the con- concentration camp after they were freed. The, the ones that their hope was tied up into uh, money or, or social status or uh, health or family position, the, those Jews that, that experienced freedom, and that's what their hope was tied up into, when they got their freedom and they went back into the world, they became successful, but they also became cynical, they got depressed, and a number of them committed suicide because their hope was based in material things and not eternal hope. Jesus illustrates this very clearly. Uh, he's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, Nicodemus, what do I got to do to enter in the kingdom of heaven? How do, I, how do I experience God in my life now, and how do I experience it in the world to come? And Jesus says, you've got to be what? Born again in spirit and in water, meaning that you have to be born again, and the things that you place your hope in, they cannot be material things, because in the spirit world, it does not value material things. What is it then? It's really easy to place our hope into things that that are objective, right? So I'm hoping for that car. I've got it in my mind. I'm going to get it. I'm going to see it happen. It's easy to do that because we've we've got a tangible. But what Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about an abstract. And the beautiful thing about this verse that we read is that Paul or Peter is able to illustrate what it is. He knows what it is. He knows what this living hope looks like. He's experienced it. And let's, let's take a look. We're going to look at the scripture a little bit more in detail. All right. So Peter says in verse 3, In his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope. He's born again. He's saying we are born again. Now, that is like a... I know that's got like a really negative term uh, for uh, years ago. It was like, okay, there's Christians, and then there's the born-again Christians, right? Remember that? Are you a born-again Christian? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, and so that was the idea. The main purpose behind it is, is that we have the Spirit working in us and through us. So you've got to be born again. And he says, and this hope is what? This hope, this living hope is an inheritance. Write that down. That's what it is. It is an inheritance. Did you know that? It's a spiritual inheritance. We get what Jesus ought to have gotten. He still gets it, but we get everything that he was offered to him. When Jesus was on the cross, when he was dying... Uh, it was our sin, it was our failure, it was humanity's flaws that was being crucified on, G- on, on, on Jesus, that, that was all laid on to him. And those were ours. Why? So that we 
could have Jesus' glory, so that we could have his righteousness, so that we could have his inheritance. Now we get it. We are now sons and daughters of God. And it shapes who we are, defines our character. Okay. Sorry, I lost my moment. Okay, so we get that is what it is. It's an inheritance. And here's the, here's the beautiful thing about our inheritance. What does he say? It says, our inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Everything else in this world, everything else that we lay our hopes in, they can perish, they can spoil, they can fade. If your hope is in your family, someday your family's going to die. If your hope is in your finances, someday they're going to go away, or someday you're going to die, and you can't take them with you. If your hope is in your social status, you can't take that with you either. It, it can easily be burned up. But the promise is, the promise of our inheritance is that it will never spoil, fade, or decay. It is there for you. It is waiting for you. And then he says, it is kept, meaning that it is, it is secure in heaven. It is kept in heaven. It's like locked away in a vault, and you've got the keys for it someday. This is your living hope that it, it, there's nothing... Not, Nobody can ever take away this hope from you. You can't even take it away from yourself. You can't even mess this thing up. It is, that is the hope of glory. It is there. It can't be taken away. And it is absolutely beautiful. And here's the thing. We don't even realize how beautiful this hope of glory is. Uh, let's see. In verse, uh, verse 7, halfway down, it says, uh, no, we'll start at 7, I'm sorry. Let's start at 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. All right, I'm going to read it again. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So when the heat is turned on, and when things get very difficult, and when you are grasping on to your hope, you need to know that in order to get divine hope, in order to get living hope, what do you have to do? You have to rejoice. And you have to praise. And I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking. Josh, that's impossible. When someone, when I'm watching somebody die, how could I possibly rejoice? When I'm losing my house, how could I possibly rejoice? When I can't find that job and when I'm alone and I, and I can't find a mate, how can I possibly be, how can I rejoice and praise? And then he says, in your times of trial. And what's he saying here? He's saying, okay, when you're, when you're sad, you're sad. And then when you're happy, you're happy. This is the difficult part. He doesn't say that. He says, they happen at the same time. When you are sad, when, you are, when you've hit rock bottom, 
if you praise, if you have this inner peace, I'm not saying you have to be happy, but if you have this praise and if you have this inner peace, your joy will match it. Isn't that an amazing thing? He says, the mature believer, the person that walks in faith, he will experience both emotions at the same time. He will experience joy and peace at the same time. That seems like an impossible thing to do, especially from the outside world whose hope is based in circumstances. Our hope is not based in circumstances. Our hope is based in the eternal hope of glory. And so we can accomplish that. Most Christians don't. You know that most Christians don't know this secret of living in, in, in suffering and joy at the same time? What do they do? I know because I've done this. So suffering comes upon us, and what do we say? We, we just turn on our Christianese, and we say, oh, praise the Lord. God works all things to those who believe. I'm just going to be a happy Christian. And then we, we fake it, Right? And there's, there's probably some, oh, you probably fake it till you make it to a point, yeah. But see, we're, we're wired to grieve and we're, we're wired to mourn in a healthy way. Uh, when Jesus was in Garden of Gethsemane, he wasn't saying, oh, praise hallelujah, you work out all things to those who believe. No, he was saying, I am facing a grief that is beyond death. I'm sweating blood. I don't want to do this. I would rather this not happen. Not only am I going to face the cross and pain and suffering, I'm going to face isolation from my Heavenly Father. That's where the true pain comes from. And so it is okay to, to do both. And when we, when we are able to uh, grieve properly and, and, and rejoice at the same time, you know what it really does to us? It deepens us. It softens us. It makes us wiser. It gives us a, a calm that, that we didn't have before. It gives us a different poise and a different take on life. And then you can accomplish anything after you, you're able to say, look, I have experienced loss at this level, and it hasn't taken my joy away because my hope is eternal. My hope is everlasting. And then, then there's that there's that peace that comes that, that, that transcends understanding. And to continue on this verse, this is the, the not-so-fun part. Verse 7, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. Okay, there's a lot here, actually. And Peter is using the illustration that, that you are gold. And here's the uncomfortable part. God is not the author of evil. He doesn't want to torture you. He doesn't want to put difficult things in your life to make him, I don't know, like a sick humor type of thing. Let's, let's, in, let's inflict pain on people to make them squirm because it makes me happy. No. Difficult situations comes into our life and God allows them to happen. Why? 
because it purifies us. It strengthens us. We are, he sees us as gold, as the most precious element on the planet. And gold is refined by fire. Gold is refined by turning the heat up. And so when the heat is on in your life, when you're in that difficult situation, this is the most difficult part. I don't like preaching this because I don't like it. But God might be allowing it to happen. Why? Because he's testing you. He's testing your metal. He's seeing what you're made of. He's, he's seeing if hope is, is directing your character. And when the fire comes on, a couple of things happens to gold. When the fire comes on, gold gets brighter. And so when, when pain and suffering come into your life, you ought to be getting brighter even though things are more difficult because your hope is in, is in glory. You're, you, have a living, you have a living hope. So you ought to be getting brighter. That's one of the things. And when the fire comes on gold, another thing that happens is it gets softer. When difficult situations comes into your life, does your heart get harder or does it get softer? Peter says that the secret is that your heart gets soft. Gold gets soft when it's heated up. And the most important thing is when there's trials and when there's tribulations that are in your life is that it, it, it purifies the element. It purifies the gold. So you might be facing a very difficult situation, a very difficult trial, and God's main purpose is, is to purify you. God is going to take a very difficult situation, he's going to turn it to good, and his good is to purify you to burn out all the imperfections, all the sin, so that you are completely trusting and relying on him. Now there's more. There's more. May be proved genuine. So he's testing your metal. He wants to know what you're made of. When you go out in the world, students... And when the pressure's on, what are you going to do? Are you going to be faithful? Or are you going to be tested? That you may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. So when we are refined by fire, when we are purified, when our hearts are made soft... It says, the result is praise, glory, and honor. For Jesus? No, it doesn't say that. Praise, glory, and honor is for you. That is your hope of glory. Isn't that an amazing thing? Again, when I read this, okay, praise, glory, and honor for Jesus, I know. No, that's not what it says. When we go through that refining fire, when our character is tested, when we prove ourselves genuine, when everything gets boiled down to faith, hope, and love in our hearts, and what we have to look at is a purified vessel, Jesus, God the Father, gives us praise, glory, and honor. It, we did not deserve that, by the way. There's nothing we did to deserve that. 
but it is meant for us. So there's that abstraction, again, that is very difficult for us to understand. The praise and glory and honor that is allotted to Jesus, we get it as our inheritance as an adoptive son and daughter of God. As hope, if we really understand that abstraction, that will get us through anything. That will get us an inner peace. That will give us an inner freedom. Can you say that you have an inner freedom? Are you free from all the material things of this world? How do you know? How do you know if you're free from material things? When they're stripped from you, how much do you really suffer? Does it destroy you when it's stripped from you? There's the question that I'm going to ask everybody in transition to ask. When things are taken from you, does it destroy you? Or do you have an inner freedom that can get beyond anything to where you can say truly in your heart, I can do all things through Christ who not only strengthens me, but purifies me, softens my heart, and makes me a better person, develops my character. All right, I'm done. Let's get the band and the ushers to come to the front. So my question for everybody today is, what's your hope in? Where, do you, where have you put your hope? Is it in the things of this world, or is it what David says? Look, why are you, why are you depressed, O oh my soul? You put your hope in the Lord. When trials, tribulations, when they, when they surfaced, what is going to be your response? Are you being tested right now? Are you in a situation right now that doesn't seem fair? Ask yourself, God, are you testing my character? Sometimes people come to church because they're in pain and they need, they need hope. I get that. God's testing your character. Will you continue to seek him? Will you continue to praise him in your pain? Will you be empowered by the Holy Spirit? And here's the, here's the thing. This living hope that is sealed for us in heaven, we have the incredible opportunity to experience it now. So what's in heaven can also be experienced now. What is your hope in? I have one more verse, Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord, they will renew their strength they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. They will have an inner freedom. Let's pray. Father, right now, I just pray that you will just, uh, for those that are being tested, for those that are going into a season of testing, God, I pray that you will strengthen our faith. God, I pray that you will connect us to love. Most importantly, God, I pray that you will anchor us to hope. I pray that we will be born into a living hope that says, I can get through this. The Lord is my strength. He is my shepherd. God is good. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I am going to make it through this purifying test, and I'm going to become wiser, stronger, 
and more empowered because of it. I am a person of godly character who has put his hope in a living God. I pray that we will, uh, God, I pray that we will give generously. I pray that you bless this offering to its fullest extent. I pray that you will meet the needs, the financial and relationship needs of everyone in this building, God. Bless it. In your name, amen.